This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Well, that was an easy win for the Steelers on Monday Night Football. Yeah, nothing No sweat. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing at all. Start to finish. Dominance for 60 minutes. Wire to wire. Easy victory. Getting to 5-3 and as smooth as you possibly can. They got to finish games, man. That's the biggest thing we're going to jump on while we break down Steelers-Bears and that result from Monday night in this episode here of the Steelers Standard. Tom Opferman, Jacob Recht, as always with you. They cannot play a full 60 minutes of football. They've gotten really good at playing a really solid first half of football, second half of football. They can do 30 minutes really well. Hell, they can do 45 minutes really well. They were they, in, they might be 10 and 0 of 30 minute teams. They were up 20 to 6 in this football game heading into the fourth quarter. The final score was 29 to 27. I mean, in 15 minutes the game just exploded on the Steelers for betters who took the over too. They're very grateful that the game exploded like it did, but you're up 20 to 6. You need to be able to just cruise your way to the finish line at that point. I know that each game is its own unique circumstances around it. The reason why they couldn't close out this one, it has to be the fumble by Ray Ray McLeod. If he doesn't fumble that punt, I think it is smooth sailing to the finish not line. Not only does he not fumble, but allow him to fumble, but just say they don't score <laughs> and on, then that, they on that scoop run back. And then they scoop it back, baby. Say they don't score on the run back. And you hold them to a field goal. They were showing, at that point, Tom, they were showing no signs of a good enough offense to put the ball in the end zone. So you hold them to a field goal. It's 29. You get the ball back, and you're now still up by double-digit points. And luckily, later in the game, we saw the Steelers scored three more times uh, after that fumble. So even if the, the Bears do kick a field goal there to make it 20-9, you're still capable of in your offense to, to go down the field and put up more points. So really that game is, is never in danger if the Bears, even if they do pick up that fumble, if they don't get in the end zone. Well, they did score about 50 or 40 minutes, or 40 seconds, excuse me, into the fourth quarter. Darnell Mooney had the Wildcat run, the handoff that he took. So it was 20 to 13 when the, or yeah, 20 to 13 when the fumble happened. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, twenty to thirteen. When the then Boswell went down the field and made the field goal to make it twenty-three to thirteen, and then the fumble happens. The fumble happens with six thirty-one left ah. in the fourth quarter. If you just take that ball, and even if you go three and out, you're probably burning at least a minute, maybe a minute and a half yeah. off of that game clock. Then you're punting it away to Chicago. Then they got to drive down the field. So if they do make it twenty-three to twenty, instead of there being six minutes left, maybe there's only three minutes left on the clock at that point. Game's pretty much over anyway. You've got to hold on to the ball, especially when you're at the level of a Ray Ray McLeod. The one thing I heard somebody say, I can't remember who it was, but I I loved it. You can't lose the game when you're not a good enough player to win a football game. Does that make sense to you? Like, Ray Ray McLeod's not good enough to take a punt to the house and win the game for the Steelers. He's not good enough to go for... Eight catches, 120 yards, and two touchdowns, and win the game. Unless it's one time in his career. Like I don't Jaylen think that's Sam- even going to happen. Like Jalen Samuels against the Patriots, or Chooks. Uh, sorry, Chooks. UG three against the Bills with a block punt. Don't know if there's, that's. There's just there's just a once in a lifetime chance for that kind of guy to make it. I'm a telling you, play. there's a zero in a lifetime chance for a guy like Ray Ray McLeod. Either way, you can't be the one that blows that football game. You have one job. I mean, if you want to fair catch that ball, fair catch it. If you want to let it bounce and go 20 yards behind you, that's A-OK with me too. I know it was kind of a shorter punt, and you had a chance to get a couple yardage on the return there, and that's what you're trained to do. 
got to know time and circumstance. And when you get hit, when you feel that contact, suck that ball into your gut and cover it with two hands. And don't be holding it with just the one hand. Don't carry that bread like LaShawn McCoy. Where you're being spun kind of around, like as we saw him going to the ground, don't have that ball in just one hand. It was You're not strong enough to, to, to control the possession of a ball with just your forearm. And one thing I heard Dale Ollie say yesterday, he was on every single show under the face of the earth yesterday uh, under, on Steelers Nation Radio. You give the Bears life when you have something like this fake punt, or fake punt, when you have this muffed punt muffed touchdown. Punt. You give them a little bit of hope. They start to feel a little bit of confidence in themselves. They've been getting beat up all game long. They finally just got into the end zone for the first time a, a little bit ago to start the fourth quarter. Then they return a punt, and they're only down by three points now all of a sudden after trailing by two scores almost the entire football game. Justin Fields starting to feel himself a little bit. He had been throughout this football game. I thought he played a tremendous game. We'll get to him in a second. You give them that little, hey, we can do this. I think we can beat the Steelers. They're not that good of a team. We're right. This is coming down to crunch time, and we're right in this football game. We can win this game. And they, they really went out there, and they did win the football game. Just thank God number seven can still, you know, turn back the hands of time and give you that one game-winning clutch drive every once in a while, as he did in this game to help Boswell kick the game-winning field goal. But you give them a little bit of just hope, a little bit of faith. That's how lesser teams pull upsets. That's how they stick around in games like this because a spark play like that gets them starting to believe in themselves again. Cannot have that if you're the Steelers. I mean, cannot. Even if, you, like you said, even if you punted away and the Bears – hit a bomb on the next play, and they score just as fast, but it's through a conventional play through the offense, mm -hmm. that's still going to be better for you as the Steelers and worse for the Bears' confidence than that kind of a splash play. If you score on special teams like that, you most likely are going to win the game. It's rare like that the Steelers said, lost this football or like won this said, game with that Buffalo, happening. It was it was UG3 who was the hero. That block punt was the tie was was the momentum turner was the deciding factor of that game it is shocking to me tom that chicago was able to pull off that scoop and score and pull themselves within three points at the time right and still lose that game they, exactly. they were abysmal in the first half offensively they showed no signs of life up until that uh daryl mooney end around rush into the end zone for about 10 yards but still, that's all, all. That was all they had done up until that point offensively throughout the night, and it's just kind of like the Steelers, where they'd only put up one touchdown all day prior to the UG three touchdown, and that's all you need is another touchdown where you least expect it to put yourself right in the position to win that game. One thing I will criticize, as far as the Steelers are concerned, and Ben Roethlisberger said this after the football game. You know, uh, yeah, the defense got a lot of ire because of the way Fields was able to drive down the field and throw that pass to Darnell Mooney with a minute 46 left to take the lead by one. But Ben put it on the offense. He said, you know, this is on the offense the reason why they were able to come back in that football game. And although the defense really is disappointing to me that once again they wilted and gave up a lead late, Ben's right. You got to score more than just one touchdown in the second half. They score two touchdowns in the first half. They score a touchdown with Pat Frymuth, his second of the game with 2.08 left in the third quarter. And then it's just three field goals from there on out in the fourth quarter. 
Got to get the ball in the end zone in that fourth quarter, especially after they fumbled the kickoff especially. that you gave it to them and Boswell got it in midfield. And let's not forget, Tom, those three field goals that Boswell hit, 52-54-40, yeah. which means you're they not weren't even close. pressing into the red zone. They weren't close, weren't in the red zone for any of them except for that final one that was a 40-yard field goal. Not good, Mm-mm. not good enough. you got to be able to put up at least two touchdowns in that second half instead of the one. One of those three field goals that you kick needs to turn into six points instead of three. Ben's absolutely right. And if you were playing a team like, say, this was the Browns again, if you were playing a team, I I, I don't know, like the Ravens, then maybe a bad example. Their defense has been kind of jokey lately. You're playing a better defense, the Packers game. Good defense you're going up against. You only score three field goals in the fourth quarter. Good luck. With this Steelers offense, that's fine with me. This Bears defense is not that good. They should have been able to put up more than just well, I the three were, field goals in this game. No, I'm just the saying like you were going. I thought you were trying to say three field goals in the fourth quarter. Aaron Rodgers. Well, that's another touchdown. That's another thing you. completely. If you play like this against another team that's better than the Bears, you're not winning the football game. But no, I, I mean, that was that was what we were saying all all week long. Was this is your opportunity to really get your offense in a groove before you get to that tough stretch of games, starting with the Chargers on Sunday Night Football. The Bears' defense isn't great. We know how bad the Lions' defense can be. This is where you really start to establish the relationships. Yes, Juju Smith-Schuster has been out of the lineup for a while. This is where Pat Fryermuth really starts to shine as the kind of go-to guy uh, that isn't just the check-down guy for Ben Roethlisberger. This is where Najee Harris really establishes himself as a top three, top five, at worst, running back in the league. And neither of those things—I mean, yes, the Pat Fryermuth connection is for real— But still, you weren't seeing a lot of action from Chase Claypool or Deontay Johnson. They had their big catches, but they didn't have 100 yards. They didn't have big days overall. And Najee Harris, I think, was probably the biggest disappointment, not necessarily to his fault, but just his production was certainly a disappointment. And it started off so well with that 10-yard run in the first drive of the game. They're up 7-0 with just five minutes gone on on the game clock. The Red Sea parted on that play. Najee picked the hole perfectly. And not a little that, stiff arm yeah, on the way stiff in. Stiff arm on the way in. And easy, easy ten yard touchdown run for him. You're thinking Looked like thirty five nothing could be for this game. Well, that's just it too. E- even when it was twenty to six heading into the fourth quarter, you felt fine. Fourteen to three at halftime. I thought, okay, not only are they going to get the win to go to five and three like they need to. Do a little style points on the way there, and I like that. I want to, I want to have some confidence after a win. I don't want to just squeak one out against the Bears and be like, "Well, but mission accomplished. They're five and three. They're going to go to six and three because the Lions are abysmal, even worse than the Bears." And then we'll see if they can squeak out three or four wins down the stretch run after they get to six and three. We are talking like that. I wanted to talk like that and be like, "They can get four wins based on how I saw them play the Bears. They can beat the Chiefs. They can beat the Titans. They can beat the Ravens the one Charter, time. They could go to Vikings Cincinnati and sure. win. They can, look at this. We're talking ourselves into they're going to win out down the stretch now all of a sudden because they look damn good and they look like that offensive identity is starting to come to fruition. And you got that for half of football. Hell, you got that for three quarters of football. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth quarter, they just hit that wall, couldn't get that final touchdown to put the nail in the coffin. Let the Bears right back into it. It took a Big Ben game-winning drive, his 50th of his career, in order for you to pull this victory out. So now we're sitting here doing this podcast, and instead of style points, yeah, baby, we're looking we good. Love, we punched you in right. the mouth. We, we'll beat the Lions, no problem. And then we're coming for you, Herbert, in L.A. on Sunday Night Football. 
now we're kind of having the tone of a loss, despite the fact that they did get to five and three. You just don't like the path that they took to get there. Mm-mm. I I mean, the way we started it out, we were completely sarcastic and, and saying, oh, what an easy win. Oh, let's no just, sweat. Let's just move on and talk about the rest of the league, how the AFC North could shape out. No, not at all. This is a constant conversation that people are having in Pittsburgh is the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers had a relatively easy first half of their schedule, but they just, and the games of which they led, could not close out. And sure, good teams win, right? Let's not forget that. Adam Crowley made the point uh, after the weekend was over, including the Steelers game, was so many teams lost this weekend. Buffalo lost to Jacksonville. Dallas lost to Denver. Good teams win. And the Steelers, yes, they have lost games against Cincinnati, who got blown out by Baltimore. They've lost games against the Raiders, who just lost to the Giants. But in the games of which they were really, really supposed to win, Denver, Chicago, they won those games. It wasn't pretty. It came down to a James Pierre interception on the final play of the game for Denver. It came down to a missed 65-yard field goal for Chicago. But they've won. It's just going to be a lot harder for you to pull out those wins during that stretch, which starts with the L.A. Chargers. I think it was really easy at the time for people to say, typical Tomlin loss after the Raiders loss and then even the Bengals loss the following week. I think we've been proved since then that should they have beaten the Bengals at home? Yeah, probably. Should and they the have beaten the Raiders at home? Yeah, probably. Can you lump those into typical Tomlin losses? No, I don't think, I don't so. think so. I think those are... Those are playoff-pushing teams. They're those both above 500. Those aren't the Raiders and the Bengals that we have become familiar with, the, the bottom of the AFC. Now, will those two teams fall off? Potentially. I kind of think the Raiders will for sure. The Bengals, yeah, they're hitting a rough patch right now. You gotta, As a young team, you got to learn how to bounce back from a losing streak and start winning again, so we'll see if they can do that. When you play the Raiders, though, I mean, Gruden was still there. Ruggs was still there. They were full. They were at full strength. I think if they stayed at full strength without the turmoil, they'd probably make the playoffs this year. They're a dumpster fire of an organization, though. That's why I think they're going to fall That's completely tough. off. And it started this week by losing to the Giants. I did not Giants. see that upset coming. If you want to call it an upset, I, I guess by Vegas's measures, you can. You you're the one who picked them in the triple play for the Giants to uh, take the points. But look, I just I, I think the Raiders. This is going to catch up bad, to them. Yeah. It's going to catch up to them. I just happening. did not. I, I guess the the Henry Ruggs was the last straw on the camel's back to break the camel's back because they had won two games without John Gruden before the yeah. Henry Ruggs incident. And now their their first round pick from 2020 uh or uh was it 2019 also having trouble. Yes. Uh some questionable social media posts brandishing some firearms that are yeah, and making some threats. Threatening remarks, yeah. Yeah, they're a dumpster fire. Yeah. They're the biggest dumpster fire of an organization in the NFL right now. They make the Cleveland Browns look like they're all sitting around a campfire singing Kumbaya. I mean that's how abysmal the Raiders are right now. But, like I'm saying, not terrible losses right there, and they're winning the games they're supposed to win, which is something that has kind of plagued Tomlin in the past. Is You drop that game to the Bears on, on primetime. You, you drop that game to the Broncos at home when you should win and need you, a win. You lose against Geno Smith and the and Seahawks. Seahawks. That's the one you circle and say this is the typical one. But they've avoided that all year so far, and it has them sitting at a 5-3 and three record. They're so firmly in that playoff mix in the AFC right now, and they're going to get to 6-3. and three. I mean... Yeah, you better hope so, Tom. Lions off a bye, whatever. I, I know any team off a bye is more dangerous. They've got a lot of time to prepare for just one opponent. We've seen Dan Campbell... Get a little risk, risque 
on his play calling. That Rams game comes to mind. I mean, they were covering an onside kick. They ran two fake punts. Success. Mm-hmm. Like he's got nothing to lose, and they played that game like it. Just then, no one wants to be the one team to lose. They against don't. A, a one and sixteen team. That's where when you get to the point where you're zero and seven, zero and eight, zero and nine. I think that becomes real, where you can feel kind of tight heading into a game if you're the Steelers because you're just sitting there thinking. I don't want to be the team that loses to I these really guys. Know. I don't want to be sitting the at the end of the year and they're one in sixteen at the top of the draft, and you're like, "That one was us." Steelers have done it in the past, not with one and not with not one with, fifteen, oh, winless but teams, like yeah. two and fourteen or three and thirteen. The Steelers are that one win that come very rare to those bad teams. Before we move on from talking about the game, kind of from an aerial viewpoint, and probably in another episode we'll do individual performances here, but. You got to talk about the refs, right? Because it was a storyline in this game. A lot of questionable calls against the Bears. I'm not going to lie. I mean, yeah. they really seemed to get the hose in that game. I don't think that the refs had it for Pittsburgh and they're in Pittsburgh's pocket and that Tony Carrente's a closet Steelers fan and, oh, it's typical the NFL's caping for the Steelers. No. I just think refs stink sometimes, and on this particular Monday night, they, they stunk really towards bad. the Chicago Bears. They were they were extremely detrimental to the to the success of uh, the Bears. I mean, the one play that everyone has been talking about is the Cassius Marsh taunting call, and you have to. You would have you call to, that taunting if you were in the uniform? I don't think I would have either. I mean, the problem I have though, maybe I go over to him and say, "Hey." I almost threw it on you there. I just want to let you know, don't do that again. You know, the refs can refs do that. They tell people, hey, I saw that. Don't do it again. Kind of give them a warning. Mm-hmm. Maybe you talk to Marsh, put your shoulder on, or arm around his shoulder and say, loved the spin kick, dude. Don't stare at the sidelines next time. Right. Well, the problem I had with the play overall was that people were critical of the Steelers for going down to the end zone to celebrate Cam Hayward's interception. People were thinking that the, the penalty came against the kick. That's not what happened. It was staring down the sideline, and I think – after rewatching and listening to a bunch of people analyze the play, was that the refs thought that he was staring down and blocking the pathway, the walkway of Presley Harvin, which would be ridiculous. What what does Cassius Marsh have against Presley Harvin? You can actually see in the camera angle too. He's not he's looking, not looking right, at he's not Presley looking Harvin. And anyway, he's looking right at the sideline, and it's pretty obvious why this guy was cut from the fifty three final, uh, the final fifty three man roster, and back in training camp. And he was promoted to the Bears lineup that day. This was, I mean, this guy was floating in limbo. This guy was floating in NFL purgatory. Had a lot of linebacker injuries, though. And was able to finally get a helmet for the first time, I guess, all season. And he, he felt it. I mean, to go up against a former quarterback of yours, take him down. In their house, that's got to feel good. I mean, I, I completely agree. I don't think there was any taunting whatsoever. To begin with, I think the taunting rule... Is ridiculous. I think that it's got to be so blatantly obvious that he's like in someone's face, like, "Yeah, you're right. you stink. Like I, I own you. Bit. Like, yeah. like you're nothing out here. You shouldn't even be in this league. You're still, a joke." I mean, this like, started in the preseason when I don't know if you remember this. The Indianapolis Colts, like their fifth string running back, who I don't think ever made the team, made like a very tough, angry run that was uh, deemed by NFL Network's uh, Good Morning Football. And he just carried the pile for about 12, 15 yards. And this guy, you know, he, he knew he was he was unlikely to make the team. So this was his big splash play to say, like, hey, maybe consider signing I'm all, me. I'm, ma- I'm getting a paycheck here now. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe. And he all he does is get up and just flex a little, and the flag was thrown. That was the first indication of how bad this rule could be on this season. 
And here we are weeks later with the Cassius Marsh thing. And it actually was it actually had an impact on the game. That was just a preseason game for Indianapolis. This this came in the fourth quarter. This extended the Steelers' drive. This gave him a fresh set of downs. Take off your black and gold glasses, everybody out there. He made a sack against the team that cut him and potentially won the football game for his team with that sack. Set them up to win. Stares down the Steelers' sideline who cut him. That's freaking badass, man. Like that is a badass First of play. All, the kick was badass. Yeah, that was Let's be honest, that was that the was most awesome. impressive athletic feat I saw in the game all, like, yes, all night. I love when TJ does his karate kick, but that was even cooler. And the stare down was cool too because he wasn't yelling at them. He wasn't like saying like no. I own you, you suck, no, Tomlin. He was just saying look, he just look stared. At me. I really don't think he said anything. I think I he just think he stared he at them without without saying a word. He said, "Look at me." Like just making sure, hey, I want you to remember who made this sack because mm-hmm. remember you had me at one point. So I thought it was cool. I thought that's I great. Thought it was fine. What's the difference between that and Aaron Rodgers yelling at Chicago Bears fans? I, I, I own this you. Is my this is my FNC. Well, I'll tell you what the difference they'll say is, is well, that's fans he's yelling at versus this is an actual sideline. Who cares? He's still yelling at the opposing team in both circumstances. I just think that the rule's a little up in the air. And uh, Who's probably the biggest curmudgeon in the history of football? Belichick, right? Mm-hmm. You'd think he's the Scrooge McDuck of the NFL. He's been on record in the past as saying, you work hard for six days before this game on Sunday. You're getting your butt beat constantly. You're trying to fight to get into this end zone for six points. All this hard work, all the sweat. All the dedication and late hours you put in, you finally get a big first down. You finally get into the end zone. He's like, you're damn right you should celebrate. Mm-hmm. You've been working really hard to do this. Show a little emotion. That's Bill Belichick who of said that. Who's so what never are, shown emotion ever. So, unless he's finally won the Super Bowl at the end of the year. So if he thinks that emotion and celebration should be part of the football game, I'm sorry. Right. I don't know who could ever argue the other side and let me agree with that. I mean... Bob Labriola made a really good comment earlier this week when he said a game should never come down to a subjective call by the refs, right? If there's a holding call or there's a pass interference call or there's a helmet-to-helmet hit, yes, those can be defined by their actions. Taunting is 100% subjective. How is it not taunting for an opposing defense, all 11 guys, to run down to an end zone, slide into it, pose like they're on the cover of Sports Illustrated or something, how is that not timing? Like, I'll completely agree with that. How is TJ Watt's karate kick not taunting? I don't I don't understand why it was allowed to why the call was allowed to be made. And again, this is coming from two two guys who work with the team, two guys who have lived in the city of Pittsburgh, who grew up here. We were able to take off our Steelers goggles and say this was the wrong call. It was also a little weird at the end, too, when Marsh was running off the field and Carenti kinda he stuck the hip out a little bit. I mean, he people were like, oh, Marsh ran into Carenti. If you look at it again, Carenti kind of went into the path of Marsh. I'm not saying that's why he threw the flag because that's not a taunting penalty. No. That's just a personal foul at the end of the at the end of the play. Yeah, I don't know if that had anything to do. I mean, but it was weird, it? man. It was a weird uh, sequence of events. I, I think that Carenti should have had to speak about it, and I think that Carenti should be looked at at the league, and maybe a little fine should be levied against him. Maybe his suspension should be levied against him because, like you said, that wasn't just a bad call. That was a subjective call that affected the outcome of a football game from a participant that wasn't on either of the two teams. I mean, if you're the NFL, you know, and if I'm the head of officiating, whoever that is, I'm, I'm sitting mm-hmm. in my office on Tuesday morning and I'm just 
my head's in my hand and I'm like, we cannot be the story on the right. Tuesday following a Monday night football game that ended with a two-point victory. Like, we cannot be the no. story there. Like, I'll reiterate Bob Labriola's point. It should not be subjective, a referee call. It should be definitive by rule. And this was, I think, a completely subjective call made by the refs. That being said, there is also, I think, merit to the other side of the argument there where they've told you what taunting is going to be all year long. You know, this isn't like a secret that they just jumped uh, in week one, dropped in your hat and said, hey, can't taunt anymore. Like, good luck. You've had all offseason to kind of figure out that these refs are going to get a little flag happy. I mean, they already have been in the past. Maybe you don't stare down on the sidelines if you're Cassius Marsh. Maybe, you know, you... You try to control your emotions. I don't know because I hate that control your emotions as as we've both said. I agree with you. I'm just arguing what other people are saying. You the team. You took down the quarterback. You put your teams, your teams, your team in a position to win that game. Sports are emotional by nature. To, to, to set out to win a goal, to win a game, to win a season, to win the championship, you're telling me you can't be emotional at any point during that? If Bill Belichick is saying you can be emotional, then by God, you should be able to be emotional. This guy was cut by a team, was in football limbo, signed that day, given a helmet that morning. And you're telling me that he can't be excited that he took down his old quarterback in his house? Come on, man. that That is asking a human being to be inhuman. Five penalties for 30 yards on the Steelers in this game. Twelve penalties yeah. for 115 yards of penalty yardage for the Chicago Bears. Were the refs bad? Yes. Were they bad skewed more towards the Bears than the Steelers? Yes. Were the Bears really undisciplined in this football game? Yes, Probably yes. they were. They lined up offsides like four different times. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has to be into account too. I understand talking about the refs on this uh, days following the game when you're when you're thinking about what happened, how the Steelers win. I, I can get it. Usually I'm not a talk about the refs guy. This time was such an extreme case I can understand it. You also have to recognize, though, that the Bears helped shoot themselves in the foot just as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe those should have only been nine penalties instead of 12 penalties against them. Nine penalties is still a lot of penalties to rack sure. up, even – even if you cut that number in half and go to six penalties, that's still one more than the Steelers had in that entire football game. So, yes, the refs were questionable, but any Bears fans listening to this right now, you guys were extremely undisciplined as well. And I hate to break it to you, you're a bad football team, so exactly. that's why it happened that you're way. You're not a good football team. No. Your, your, your leader, your, your coach is not a good NFL coach. Expect him to be gone if not by the end of the season. He's gone by the end of the then. year, right? Then before, if not before then. Yeah, I, I see. That right now, though, I probably see them just riding things out with him. I, I don't know why you would fire him in the middle of the season when you know you're just going to move on after the season. Maybe if they lose every single game from here on out just to make a point, you fire him before the final se- the final week just to say, hey, this isn't what Chicago's about. Like, You can't go 3-14 and 14 here on the season and, and not get fired before you can finish out your final season as the coach. So maybe that does happen, but if I had to put money down on one coach to go... It's Matt Nagy. I mean, Urban Meyer's won two games since that incident at the restaurant, so he's back, baby. So, yeah. That two games is, I think, one game more than we expected the Jaguars to win this season. I think Nagy's the one that's on the hottest seat right now. 
in terms of the NFL. That'll do it for this episode of Steelers Standard. As always, we appreciate you giving us a listen. For Jacob Brecht, I'm Tom Opperman, and we'll talk to you guys next time.